Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 74 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our swelteringly hot studio direct to your speakers. I will be joined a little later on by my very own boy Wonder Martin, but for now it's up to me to kick things off by talking about some of the biggest stories that have been rocking the world of pop culture recently. So let's kick off with... The very, very sad news that everyone is well aware of at this point that Warner Brothers has shelved the release of Batgirl. So this is director Adil Elabi and Bilal Falal's uh, first DC movie starring Leslie Grace as Batgirl Barbara Gordon. It has been decided that this film is not going to be released. (sighs) Yeah, this is very, very sad news. Uh, very, very sad news, particularly for the hundreds of people that were involved. You've also got Michael Keaton, who was in this, obviously, as Batman. You had Brendan Fraser, who was going to be playing um, Firefly. We know that Killer Moth was going to be in this film. J.K. Simmons, back as Commissioner Gordon. This was a hot film that was in the pipeline. It had only had 10 weeks of post-production. It had had one test screening. It had only just been confirmed for a theatrical release here in the U.K., But for plenty of business reasons, uh, it has been decided that it's not going to get released. Um, So I am kind of well aware that this has been well documented by this point, but I wanted to touch on it because I think there's a lot of misinformation around this out there on the internet. Um, I am obviously not part of Warner Brothers. I don't know the inside track, but I do know the difference between the studio line, uh, what the big kind of industry trades say, and then what random twitter user a and other says when they just want to say their piece and talk shit on on twitter um so what we do know is that batgirl as we talked about when it was first announced and when leslie gross was first cast was uh, commissioned written for and produced for hbo max a streaming service it is essentially kind of a tv movie if you think about direct to streaming films that you've seen on maybe discount netflix who have obviously won awards for theirs and same with apple but if you think it's a disney plus or you look at paramount plus uh you do have it i mean they're not tv movies in the sense that some of us who are in our 30s or more might remember from the 90s and the 80s but they are you know they're not the big budget blockbusters that you would see in the cinema they are you know more cheaply made they're they're well budgeted for a kind of smaller screen and for a home audience and for that reason that seems to be why warner brothers felt that this film wasn't able to be released uh there the you know the idea is that the, the new head of warner brothers discovery has his opinion on streaming movies he has made it very clear that he does not want to make and put any money from his company which he bought with something ridiculous like three billion dollars debt. Um, he doesn't want doesn't want to invest in movies, quote unquote, which are only going to go to streaming because you don't make the money back in the way that you would theatrically, and you don't get the longevity of subscriptions that you would from spinning out a TV show like Stranger Things or from all of the DC shows that we see on HBO Max. So his options are release it on HBO Max anyway and potentially lose money or put more money into a film that's already cost between 70 and 90 million which is modestly budgeted these days and 
put it in the cinema but does that mean half the film needs reshooting how do you get all the cast back can you get all the cast back clearly this is a very business-minded decision and not a creative decision because arguably the directors deserve to have their vision seen regardless and i that's my standpoint on it i think it should have been seen regardless but for business reasons it was decided that it was better to shelve it and take a tax rebate on it rather than release it in cinemas uh, anything that you may have heard about poor test screening ignore there was only one it was a very rough edit it had a reasonable score anything you've heard about the fact that it's to do with Ezra Miller and problems that that you know they have ignore that particularly given that today they've publicly apologized uh, albeit supposedly if again you believe the conspiracy theorists of Twitter uh, that's somebody from Warner Brothers writing that rather than Ezra themselves uh, but back to back girl it's it's it is a purely business decision which has been made to try and save money at a studio which needs to claw back three billion dollars at this point in time it's a very very sad decision it's not one i agree with it's not one i'm happy with but it's not one that we have any control over final thing that i have to say about this is it's nice to see that so many people are jumping on the kind of hashtag save batgirl hashtag release batgirl scenario on social media but from what i understand because they've taken a tax break on this it now has to be written off and they can no longer make profit on it meaning that they can't release it in any way that we can buy it or subscribe to watch it so short of it being leaked i don't think this is a film that we're going to see for a long long time if ever which is very very sad and i'm sorry for that but i hope the rumors are true that warner brothers would like to work with leslie grace in the future because from what we saw of her from behind the scenes footage and what we saw of her in stills she was a badass batgirl so let's park that one there i think sticking with warner brothers the studio also had its first investor call since the merger with warner brothers uh, again i don't want to linger on some of this too long because it's very well documented and there's plenty of rumor and hearsay going around social media but one thing that was very encouraging to hear is that david zaslav who is the new head of warner brothers discovery is looking how what has crafted a DC Studios, I don't know if that's what it would be called, but DC will become its own studio within Warner Brothers, it will have its own kind of silo, its own production wing, it will have its own set of executives, as Marvel Studios does over at Disney. Uh, it's something that they're looking to uh, hire in kind of the executives for at the moment. They've already brought in Alan Horn. That name may not ring a bell to many of you, but Alan was at Disney on the ground when Marvel Studios was created and was instrumental in the hiring of Kevin Feige, which you know hopefully means that he will be instrumental in hiring someone similar for DC. That does not mean that Warner Brothers is purely looking to make a Marvel Universe. We don't know what their plans are. They've said that they would like a 10-year plan, and this is something which caused holy hell on social media with people saying, you've told us you had a 10-year plan before. He didn't say he has a 10-year plan. He said that he wants his executives in place for DC Studios and to then have a 10-year plan for what will happen. We know that Joker 2 has been confirmed and that that will star my least favourite actress on the planet, Lady Gaga. Uh, story for another day. Uh, so we know that they are moving ahead with certain properties. Hopefully the Batman 2 will find itself greenlit very soon. Matt Reeves is working on a script for it. We know that the HBO Max shows are currently safe, so we have new seasons of Titans and Doom Patrol and Peacemaker coming up, as well as the Green Lantern show, which remains in development, as well as the Constantine show, and also the Penguin um, 
spin-off from the Batman. Presumably the the Dead Boy Detectives, which is a spin-off from Doom Patrol, is also still in the pipeline as well. But you know, there are certain properties which are going to carry over and then they're you know, they want a plan. So it's very encouraging news for the future, but we will have to watch this space to see whether that becomes the kind of what do I want to say? The multimedia kind of juggernaut that Marvel has become that we all know that DC deserves to be. Just to cap off the news for this episode, uh, it's just something personal from us, actually. Uh, so we are now in our ninth year of uh, Get Your Comic On, the website. Obviously not the podcast, has not been going quite so long. But we are now making plans for our 10th anniversary, which will be July the 26th, 2023. Also happens to be my birthday that day as well, actually. How sweet we share a birthday. Uh, But that means there are going to be some changes across the year. Nothing life-changing. Don't panic too much. We're not going anywhere. Certainly not. You're going to have us for at least another 10 years yet. Uh, But you will slowly start to see a few things change just around the design work. And maybe the design of the website will start eking towards a brand new design. Everything is going to come under the banner of hashtag Geico10, which is going to culminate in some pretty major festivities which are working on at the moment for July of 2023. But if you want to join in the party, you've got any suggestions of things that you'd like us to do to help celebrate the anniversary, then get in touch. You can find us on social media at Get Your Comic Con on all major platforms. And if you want to talk to me, then I'm at Neil Vag. That is it for the news this week. Let us dive into a film I want to tell you all about. Earlier in the year, I was approached by uh, an indie company to take a look at a horror film called uh, Followers, which is a found footage film. Uh, I'll read you the synopsis from IMDb. A struggling social media influencer discovers the house he shares is haunted. The ghost brings him and his friends fame and fortune, but with deadly consequences. The film was written and directed by, uh, sadly, the late Marcus Harbin, who passed away before the film was completed. It stars Harry Jarvis, Daniel Carhill, Larice Harrison, and Erin Austin as the lead students in the uh, kind of haunted house that you can find. It also happens to star a very recognisable face in uh, Nina Wadia, who you will definitely know from TV. I'm sure some of you out there just rolled your eyes when I said found footage, which is something that goes all the way back to the Cloverfield days, but Followers is a really fun film. For a start, it's British, which is not something that we see very often, especially not breaking through into a major market these days, but it's a very cool, very well-imagined horror. I've I've reviewed it over on the website, so you can go and check out my written review there now. Uh, It's so well thought out in terms of the number of different types of cameras that are used which is all dependent on where they kind of are in their influencer career how there are multiple camera angles in different scenes how different scenes are played out from whether it be on a phone or whether it be on a computer or whether you're you're watching back footage from elsewhere it's very cleverly constructed and considering the way it was filmed which is over a kind of a two-week period in in one location it must have been so complex to shoot so it just what comes together is an incredible film, and I, I had the pleasure of talking to Erin Austin and uh, Harry Jarvis. I nearly called him Jonty Craig, which is his character's name, uh, a little while ago, just before we went on holiday to Chicago to talk about this film. And you kind of get the impression from them just how complex this was and how much of a different and unique experience it was in making uh, making a movie. So I can't recommend it enough if you like a good horror film. There are some good scares in there, some great characters. It is satirical at the same time. There are some really funny laughs in there as well. Marcus Harbin's script is um, is so witty and it's so brilliant. And it sounds like the film could have been edited in so many different ways to have carried it out and kind of you know explored different avenues with the story. But check out what happened when I sat down with uh, Erin and Harry to talk about making this film. 
So thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat with me about followers. I wanted to go straight back to the kind of the beginning. How did you get involved with this film? See, my yeah, I just got the call from my agent about the audition and kind of got sent the script and there was just a little scene or two that you had to do um, to just self-tape and then you sent off the scene and then we got a recall and you kind of worked with the director and then the next stage was kind of chemistry tests, which was bizarre. <laughs> we had three of you, three of the other character and three of the other. And then it was like the X factor where they're trying to find the right band, like one direction. And they just yeah. go, mm, try this person, this person. And there was like the four main characters and they're just looking for the right fit of the people that come together. And then, yeah, managed to grab the part and, and yeah, just uh, got to read the full script and kind of all the different versions. And then a few weeks later, we were around the table having our first read. Yeah, uh, for, for me, uh, Marcus reached out to me with the script um, uh, kind of a while before. I, I was never like nailed on for the part necessarily, but um, he wanted to kind of chat it through with me and uh, and see what I thought of it. And, and, and we kind of, um, I, I gave him feedback on it. I thought it was a fantastic script, but I thought it needed some fine tuning in, in areas, um, which, I mean, it was still like a rough draft at that point. And uh, he went back, took another look at it, and um, he, and then came back to me with it later. And we got to like the audition stage. I was like, "Yes, this is this is really really cool. This is absolutely batshit crazy. I love it." Um, and so that's kind of how I got involved. And then we did all the chemistry reads, and uh, yeah, it was just trying to find that mix because you need um, you know the right balance of crazy and quiet for a horror film. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what we found, especially with. Larice bouncing out the rest of us. Well, you both just touched on the script. I mean, there is there's such a brilliant mix of different horror subgenres in there, as well as the kind of the more comedic elements to it. So, so what were what were your first reactions like when you when you read the script, Erin? What was your reaction to it? I I, I think I had different reactions at every point in the script. At first, <laughs> it's like a satirical comedy almost, and, and kind of like cabin in the woods like taking the mick out of the horror genre yeah. and then I thought oh there's some jumpy bits in there like maybe we're going more traditional and then there was the twist along the way and just all these different elements that I didn't really know kind of what I was signing up for but that made it more exciting in a way yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny because the cabin in the woods thing that's exactly what Marcus wanted that's what he mm. kept talking about it actually started off a lot more like Cabin in the Woods and veered a bit further away mm -hmm. from it um, as it as it went through different drafts. And as it went through different edits, it became a different film as well. There, there's about 10 different films edited in there, if you want. With the amount of footage that we got um, that was planned, unplanned, there's so many things in the film that we just shot between the uh, four of us because they left 17 cameras in the uh, place that we were filming and we we lived and slept there so yeah. whenever we wanted we could just pick one up and shoot it so there's so much unused footage uh, and I, I bet if you re-edited that film you'd get a completely different storyline out of it well i was gonna say so that, i mean the sheer volume of footage which is in the film you know the final edit of the film is mind-boggling as it yeah. is from the, as you yeah. just say, all the different cameras to then scenes where you've got multiple different camera angles and you know it was all filmed in what under two weeks while you were living in yeah. that in that house i mean what was that like being in that bubble while you were filming that must have been insane so fun so <laughs> fun absolutely insane but so fun uh, i 
I, I don't remember having a set like that in my life. Um, I mean, obviously, usually sets, you don't film a film in 10 days in one or two locations anyway, but um, the group of people were fantastic. Honestly, I feel like we all just vibed so well, got along with each other. So well, we probably had to like kind of tone it down every now and then because we were having too much fun. Um, but it, yeah, it was, it was also, it felt very method in a way because you, you become so used to and aware of your surroundings. Like you're, you're going and having breakfast downstairs, you're shooting in your bedroom, you know where everything is. So yeah. it, it very much becomes almost that, if I can go a little actory on you, uh, Stanislavski kind of method of once you know your surroundings so well, you can really kind of envisage what your character would do and where they would go. And so that, that definitely really helps like, in creating the characters, creating um, the realism and kind of natural banter, for want of a better word, between the, uh, the four, four leads. What was it like for you, Erin? Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to experience uni because I went to drama school, which is more like boarding school. Um, <laughs> so it was just so much fun. And yeah, like Carrie said, it was like one big family and you you work with, you know, the gaffer or the lighting person or, you know, yeah. someone on the camera and then they're going to sleep literally in the room below you. Or I shot you know, a scene in my bedroom as Amber and then, took my makeup off and went to sleep in that room because that was my room as well. So it was a bit bizarre. There's like nothing I've ever experienced before, but it was epic. It was so much fun. You can't really call it work. No, it sounds like <laughs> was it Was it daunting having to kind of adapt to the idea of shooting the film as well as acting in the film and kind of having those moments where you were sort of maybe giving dialogue, but also having to hold the camera at the same time? What was that like to, to adjust to as a kind of process? let you take it I mean I didn't film much to be honest because Marcus gave me the camera I think on like day three and said what would Amber do with this camera and I just <laughs> made a little selfie like yeah. why would yeah. someone else um so yeah I kind of got away with that luckily so I didn't have to worry about being too technical I, I filmed bits um because especially near the start jaunty yeah Jonty's John just got no idea what he's doing. He's not got a clue. He's, he's trying to do this new method and he's, he's an idiot. And uh, he's just constantly pointing the camera at himself. His shots are meant to be all over the place. So the fun thing about that was, uh, as I, I, I'm not like a, a great, you know, camera operator, but I'm not that bad. And you have to kind of intentionally make the shooting worse for someone who just has no clue what he's doing. And then as it progresses, Zorna, Larissa's character, who does most of the camera operating, is like, you can't be the one in charge of this anymore. You're missing everything. And you keep trying to get selfies, and that's not going to work. Um, so then she takes a real uh, spearhead in the filming operation. She learned so much from our director of photography, Al, Al Niblo, who did a lot of the shots himself, but also was so liberal with uh, just giving the camera to us and yeah. Larice really, really did her research. She she spent hours with the cameras, um, and she actually became a really, really good camera operator. I think Al was really impressed. And uh, yeah. yeah, she she shot on Panasonic, Sony's, the I think we did the Red, right? Not the Alexa, um, GoPros, <laughs> iPhones, night vision cameras, the works. It's it's almost like a guerrilla film school in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 
it was horrible for the editor, I'm sure. <laughs> He's trying to make sure all this grades so it doesn't look absolutely insane. But he did a brilliant job. Will uh, Will Honeyball is an amazing editor. Um, I worked on another film with him. He's, he's just incredible. And obviously, sadly, Marcus, the director, is, is no longer with us. But I wanted to just touch on what it was like working with him. What was, what was he like as a director, particularly on a project that, like this, which is so different to, to what you would see in kind of even mainstream horror? Like everything you could want him more as an actor. And I'm not just saying that because he's not here. Um, genuinely, he gave you the right amount of freedom, but the same amount of direction. He would speak to you about the scene and see if you were comfortable with it, see if you agreed on the character and if you both think that they would react in this way. And if you had an emotional scene or a scene that required a certain emotion, he would take you to the side and get you rattled up for that scene. He'd say stuff to you as a person that would just get you in that mindset and then give you a little high five on the way out. Or <laughs> he'd ask you, you know, like, what do you need to get into this scene? And there was one scene which required me to be like heartbroken and so emotional. And I knew the only way I was gonna get there is listen to this song that makes me cry like instantly. But I needed a moment with my headphones and in the chaos of a set, I could not tell you how hard it must have been to be like, everyone shut up, Erin needs a minute. And he did, and he literally silenced the set and he let me have my minute in my corner. There must've been about 30 people trying to do their job, but for him to just take the audacity to just say, no, like this is what my actor needs. And he supported us throughout and, yeah, he was just a blessing. Yeah, yeah. He, he wore his heart on his sleeve massively. You know, you'd, you'd know what, what Marcus was feeling and what, if, you know, if he wasn't happy with a shot, you like, you could tell straight away. Um, and in a similar way, you could tell when he was so happy with what he'd just got. It, uh, other directors, they're like, fantastic, moving on. Marcus was actually like, yes. <laughs> or he'd be like, and you'd be like, okay, what do I need? And then, like Aaron said, he'd uh, he'd, he'd either rile you up, he'd get you in a headspace. I, I remember there were times, especially when you're like shooting 14-hour days um, and just absolutely crazy, everyone like in one tiny location, it gets really hot. Um, I remember me and Marcus would have arguments, we'd shoot the scene, which required all the anger, and then he'd be like, see? I'd be like, all right, yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> um he, he had a, a really, really interesting way of directing, which I've not seen before, but I think produced really great results. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So was there, was there much room to kind of improv within that as well? So, uh, you know, in between him kind of riling you up, was he allowing you to kind of give it your own spin or what felt comfortable in the moment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So much of the film's improv. Dan especially. Yeah. Um, he played Pete. He, so many of the insults are just off the cuff from him. Um, there's so, so many yeah yeah he uh yeah he he came up with so many things and marcus would just he marcus would generally say um just do whatever you fancy for this say whatever you like and dan would reel off six seven eight fifteen insults in a row um or try different things and uh, some of them made them in some of them i wish there was a blooper reel so you could see them because they're hilarious some of them <laughs> should never ever go anywhere near a screen, but they were brilliant. <laughs> um, but Marcus just had you just had so much freedom. You could try whatever you wanted, especially considering the time constraint we were on. He yeah, was so yeah, yeah he, he was so, so supportive of people just trying things, which was 
it's just exactly what you want as an actor. It's so much fun. He's also so generous in that he he asked you, would you use this insult? Some of your generation, do you kids yeah. use this? No. <laughs> yeah. So to changing it and we'd be like, mm, no, I think that's a bit dated. We need to change it here. And he was yeah. always so suggestions. Yeah, true, true. And like with Tanya, for example, um, he asked her a bunch of stuff when she came on set about the influencer world and uh, the words they use and what they don't use. And yeah. she kind of gave him a, a roadmap and uh, he changed a lot of stuff based on what she said. And I, th I think she has a more intimate knowledge of it than most people. So it, it felt a lot more, um, a lot more real coming from her. Yeah. Wow. Erin, I just wanted to touch on Amber for a second. She's kind of our sort of closest equivalent to a, to a screen queen in the film. Um, what was, what was it like to in, inhabit the character? What was she like? nightmare <laughs> no you, you kind of you read her and you think oh I know this girl like she's so annoying I know her but then you, you want to get into the character and you see the situation she's put in and how how much she wants to please and actually fit in and be popular and you just kind of think to yourself in in that situation with new people and you find the empathy and like the softness of her so it was really hard for me because Marcus wanted a scream queen and he wanted the stereotypical side of Amber, but to also just go, look, this girl, if she screams the whole film and whines and grow, crawls back to John T, like that's not a likable person and it's not a truthful person because no one is that one dimensional. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard to find the balance between giving the film what it needed, which was a scream queen and someone that is scared of everything, but also giving her a bit of fight that justified why she was in that situation in the first place, because someone who was scared of everything would have just left, but she keep coming back. So there's, yeah. you've got to find like the conflict there a little bit. So it was very hard, but yeah, it was interesting. Always trying to look at the script and go, right, I, I think Amber does this because of this. And I think she's got this soft side and this vulnerable side and, and this feisty side as well. She's not just a scream queen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then with John T, I mean, he he has this, I mean, he, cra he craves the spotlight. His drive is to, you know, to, to be the centre of attention. How, I feel like I've been at many, many screenings with a John T. I feel like I know many <laughs> John T's from just this whole kind of podcaster sort of world. But how, how did you, how did you get into that mindset? Was there anybody that you had kind of in mind? Were you looking at any influencers, dare I say it, yeah. um, and kind of trying to take inspiration from anyone like that? Yeah, for sure. I looked at people like Jamie Lang, um, reminded me a little bit of Shanti. Um, uh, Logan Paul or the Paul yeah. brothers gave me a lot of that. I think it's um, the thing with Shanti that you don't see so much in those kind of people um, is most of what it comes from is just the fact that he is just craving uh, an identity and to fit in and be liked. Yeah. It's 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 almost a little bit sad when you when you see where Jonty's actual motivation comes from whenever he's kind of put down or put in a bad situation he tries to adjust it on his vlog so that it looks like like with that with uh Pete for example when they have that a falling out he tries to adjust it to make it seem like they ended on a great terms and what have you but you can see he's he's really broken whenever people leave him and I feel like he has especially with his dad has abandonment issues and uh and is desperate to, to show the world how great he is um 
so yeah he's loud he's obnoxious he's annoying and he's you know kind of a bit of a <laughs> a stereotype do not be this person but at the same time you, you'd have you do see these people constantly and if, if you spend a bit of time with them you realize it generally comes from being overlooked in life and just desperately trying to be seen um i think that's kind of what jaunty is um and throughout the film, there's this kind of complicated thing of making him dislikable, but not so yeah. dislikable that you can't you can't root for any of the characters because he, he really just kind of does get in at the, a lot of the scenes and just overwhelm everyone with his ridiculous personality. Um, it was a lot of fun to play, but it was a tough one to play as well. Yeah, I bet. Me and Marcus like chatted about it extensively, so. And what do you what do you hope that viewers take away from watching followers? Um, I I, I kind of hope that they I, I think in one respect followers was quite ahead of its time with the influencing social media sites when it was made that hadn't come out yet and so uh, that hadn't been so prevalent I suppose and I hope they kind of take although there's a huge satirical edge with followers and undercutting on social media, like who we should be, I, think, I hope that people kind of take the, um, the, the, the lesson that it tries to show, you know, that there, there, are, there are things more important than money. There are things more important than fame. There are things more important than even being liked and whatever. Uh, there's, you know, friendship, family, humility, or, or the above. I feel like that's kind of a, li a little piece of what it tries to say. I hope that girls look at Amber and John T's relationship and want more for themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's toxic. Yeah, um, it's so yeah, toxic. <laughs> but I, I think that there's a lot of life in there at the moment and kind of the problems that they face in that film exist now and maybe they can relate to that and think maybe I would have done that differently or you know she made the wrong choice or would I do that if I was in that situation and kind of question their morals and and see the consequences for each individual character and think well they made right or wrong their choice but would I have made that choice and look where it got them so just kind of relate to the situations even though the film is crazy and out there there is little elements of real life and, and, and real conflict for those characters. And they're faced with horrible situations for young people that we kind of all face because we're in a social media world now. So to just kind of look at it and, and relate to the character in some way would be a success for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think- I also kind of, although there is all that stuff and I also kind of hope that people just take it a little bit for what it is because it's just fun that yeah. it has those themes running through it but it's just fun and when you just take it as that uh, i i i really enjoy it <laughs> i think it's one of those films that's just yeah a, a release in a way films like it, it does. does even though it does look like we're being serious maybe a bit too much when you say let's split up and look clues like that <laughs> yeah. was completely <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a typical horror film, and that's what we signed up for. But yeah, just to enjoy it and have a laugh, it, mm -hmm. you know. I think that's when horror works best, in a way, is when it does um, have that undercurrent of 
real life situations that you can still see i think when you go too fantastical you lose some of that connection because it does feel so fantastical whereas sure. when you look at a group of people who are very reflective of what culture is like today and you see them in a scenario like that you get sucked into it more and i think it becomes more entertaining and more successful in that in that way and this film definitely definitely does that yeah totally agree so what is what's next for you guys erin what are you well, other than sitting in a lovely norfolk cottage what are you working on uh -huh. what are you doing at the moment <laughs> Uh, I do quite a lot of voiceover stuff at the moment. So I do like children's animations and cartoons, which is really fun when you come out of the booth and your cheeks are hurting because you've done a 13 year old's voice for the past few <laughs> hours. Um, but no, nothing on the horizon yet. Uh, waiting to hear from a couple of callbacks. So hopefully it's the followers magic again and I get yeah. the role. <laughs> and what about you, Harry? What are you, other than sitting in a yacht in Venice, what are you up to at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm uh, I'm shooting a TV series in Scotland uh, that I'm I'm not allowed to say what it is, but um, but yeah, I'll be filming that for the next few months, um, and then who knows past there. Well, guys, thank you so much for chatting to me about followers today. I, I really enjoyed the film and it was nice to be able to kind of get in and see it early and review it early on, and then come back and actually get to talk to you guys about it now that it's coming out on home video. So I yeah, hope. Yeah. It finds its audience out there and, and people love it because it, it deserves it. Thank you so much, Neil. Yeah, it was lovely chatting to you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks again to Harry and Erin for taking the time to uh, to chat with me. We were on for ages. I was getting a bit worried that the um, Zoom call was going to run out of time because I've only got a little freebie account and we were nattering away for ages. And it was right before we went to Chicago as well. I had packing to do. There was a lot going on. Anyway... Uh, followers is available now on digital platforms and on uh, DVD and Blu-ray in the UK. I, better late than never, have now been joined by Boy Wonder. Martin has arrived. Would you like to announce yourself into the room? Well, I feel like I should be announced. Well, I announced at the beginning that you were joining late this week, so this is your this is your moment to tell the listeners that you've arrived, as has Ollie, who's now running up and down the desk next to me. Well, I've arrived. <laughs> So we are going to talk about two more topics this week before we wrap up episode 74. Uh, first up, we're going to talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, now, obviously, if you're in the US, you'll be thinking, oh, these guys are a bit behind only just talking about Strange New Worlds. But the series just wrapped up its first season with episode 10 finally airing on uh, Paramount Plus in the UK as of last week. So we now have all 10 episodes available in the UK to stream again via Paramount Plus. In case you've been living under a rock, Strange New Worlds is the newest live-action Star Trek series. This one spins off Captain Pike, played by Anson Mount, the Ethan Peck version of Spock, and uh, Rebecca Remains, Una Chin Riley, who were introduced in Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. They're now off, having their adventures on the Enterprise in this very cool, very serialised, very awesome new version of Star Trek. Boy Wonder, your feelings on the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds? Happy? Yes. Where does this land in your sort of rankings of contemporary Trek? So, Discovery onwards. Um, I would say pretty high. Higher than Discovery. Okay. Higher than Picard? Um, maybe a little bit higher than Picard. Higher than Lower Decks? 
Not higher than Lord. So, so Lower Decks, would you you would say is your favourite contemporary track? I think it was fun, isn't it? It's fun. Yeah. I like a bit of Just fun. to say, actually, in case you weren't aware, uh, Season 3 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is coming to Paramount Plus in the US on August the 25th. And it's now been confirmed that it will still air on uh, Prime Video here in the UK and in the international markets. And will air, the or I say air, but you know what I mean, stream, the following day. So it'll be August the 26th for the Season 3 premiere in international markets. I think I've fallen into that uh, modern Star Trek place whereby every series that's currently airing is my favorite so when picard is on picard is my favorite when discovery is on discovery is my favorite when lower decks is on lower decks is my favorite and funnily enough when we watch strange stranger things uh, when we watch strange new worlds that was also my favorite star trek so I'm, I'm struggling to decide where it lands um how do you feel about the fact that this is a much more classically serialized star trek rather than Discovery, uh, sorry, not serialised, that's the complete opposite of what I mean. It's much more, you know, story of the week where Discovery is very serialised. Well, I like the story of the week, but I also like that there's a, a golden thread throughout as well. Yes, so I feel like this has the best of the original series, which is that each week we go somewhere different, do something different, but with all of kind of the next generation's character arcs, where, you know, Next Gen still had... They had some serialised storytelling, but more often than not, it was the mission of the week. But there was a lot going on with the characters that ran through all seven years. I feel like you've got the best of both worlds. Hey, <laughs> to shoehorn in an episode title. Do you, doth you agree? I doth. Favourite character in this uh, in this version of Star Trek? Do you have one? Don't say Pike's hair. Well, no, I like the whole of him, not just the hair. <laughs> Why do I feel like we've had this conversation before? Well, I mean, he's just a very good captain, isn't he? He is a very good captain, yes. I think he's a very amiable lead. I think he carries the show very well. I think Anson Mount is a brilliant actor. He could carry me as well if he wanted. Right. (laughs) We've definitely had this conversation before on this podcast. Um, So now we've seen all ten episodes. Do you have any favourites? No, I think it was was a solid season. Very consistent. Very okay. Good quality storytelling. Apart thought, from that one that I didn't like, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, see, this is what I thought. I thought there was going to be a there's a specific episode that I know you didn't really like. And interestingly, it's an episode that Nicola and Chris just watched. So she'd messaged me last night. She was like, "I love episode eight and I was like, "Oh, the fairy tale." Oh, I didn't like that one. No, I didn't like that. That's, so that's the one you mean, right? I think so. What What, what were you thinking? That's what I meant. Oh, I, yeah, I, no, I far, my yeah. I I you you really checked out on the fairy tale episode. Yeah. So that's the one where Mbenga's um reading the story to his daughter and then it kind of comes to life and they use all of i still think i agree with you it maybe isn't my favorite episode but i like the fact that they didn't it's like a holodeck episode which can be very hit and miss as we are well aware as star trek fans but i like that because obviously you don't have a holodeck in this era of star trek that they instead of going to a random like fairy tale planet it was still the ship cheaper for the budget but also, I like the way that they were able to redress all of the sets that you knew from different parts of the ship to be something completely different. I thought that was very cool. Mm. Uh, if I had to pick a favourite episode, it might be episode nine, which is the um, first... By the way, spoilers for anyone that's not watched it. Um, the the Gorn episode. So not the one where the Gorn attack the ship. That is another one of my favourites, which was that kind of ship-in-a-bottle uh, submarine-type episode. But the one where you actually get to see the Gorn... Um, and the Gorn are very... It's very horror. 
thought it was a very good episode. Mm, with very a great alien. Yes, and a very good emotional ending. Very alien. Some definite lifting of things from alien, but in a very good way. Star Trek doesn't often do horror very well. I don't... I can't really think of any... Can you think of any Voyager episodes that do horror or try to do horror? No, I mean, no, there's no horror. What about that year of darkness or whatever it's called? Year of hell. That's the one. Well, that's not really horror. That's just a two-part of Tammy Yeah. See, whereas when I think horror, I think of that episode where Barkley becomes a giant spider. Well, it was the episode where the, the macro virus runs around the ship and tries to kill them all that's a bit horror where it's like oh is it bagging me oh god there's there ah. i don't see i don't remember that one because i'm not great with voyager but do oh, you oh it's the best one it's where she gets her vest on and she's got like the rucks out and a gun and she's like ah remember that one with all the gifts hmm okay but you've just broken my theory there my theory was going to be that star trek doesn't do horror very well but you've just said it's one of the best well it's, yeah oh i don't know if you class as horror horror for me i'd say so I think of that episode where everyone on the Enterprise regresses and Worf becomes this giant monster that's trying to kill people. You've got Troy as a fish in the bath, having been bitten by him. Crusher gets her face melted off by his acid sacks and Barkley becomes a giant spider, which still to this day scares me to death like it did as a child. And I just... So I don't think... I don't think horror-type episodes is something that you typically associate with Star Trek. Well, I suppose there is another horror-type episode <laughs> in Voyager. Indulge us more. Where Seven is on her own, mm-hmm. and they're traveling through a nebula. Do you mean uh, Commander Seven or Commander Annika uh, of the USS Stargazer? Uh, just Seven at this point. Okay, Thank you. sorry. And she's on her own, and she goes slightly mad and thinks there's somebody trying to kill her. Oh, well, not slightly mad, but you know, Borg don't do very well on their own. No, that's very true. Um. Okay, well, my theory of Star Trek doesn't necessarily do horror very well. It may have been ruined by Voyager. Uh, I just don't think it's a genre that you associate with Star Trek very much, so I think it was quite cool that they experimented with things that Star Trek is used to doing, like sort of slight comedy episodes like the body swap or the you know ship has been attacked and disabled type stuff. There's, there's lots of stuff across the season which I think you recognise as being very typically Star Trek. And then I think there are other things that they do which are genuinely out of the box a bit and, and different for the for the franchise as a whole. And I think they do all of it well. Some of it more successfully than others, but I think all of it is still done well. They just won an award as well at the Hollywood Critics Association Award. They got get, given a special award for... It was just called the Legacy Award. And it was for recreating the legacy of classic star trek and making it contemporary without completely relying on nostalgia (laughs) it's a very specific award that's like you did something that is very much this thing but a very new version of this thing without doing what you know star wars does and just telling us that it's things from the past that we all love okay so uh, spoilers for the kind of season finale now just for a couple of minutes how do you feel about what they did with the season finale and how it sort of lines up with the original series? Now, I don't mean that in a, are you intimately aware of that period of the original series? Because I know you're not. But how do you feel about what they did? I've already said spoilers, so I don't know why I've talked around it. I could just say the fact that they recreated an episode of the original series, but from a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting way to do it. Did you enjoy the episode? I did enjoy the episode. Did you enjoy 
some of the people who were in the episode that hadn't been in the rest of the season. Oh yes, yeah. Oh no, I'm with you. I couldn't remember the episode to be honest with you. I remember it now. It was a very. <laughs> you only take. watched it like yesterday. Oh, it's been a very long week. It's only Tuesday. Uh, no, it was good. It was a nice, timey wimey, what if type episode. Mm-hmm. But you know, very what if done well. <laughs> yep. It was a, you know what if it was good and it was. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. Again, it sort of gives us a glimpse of another timeline. Yeah. Like the movies. The but, Star Trek multiverse, but, well and truly in, in place. But bringing it back to uh, you know, an original timeline. Yes, I don't know what you would call it. Pri- I just call it prime, prime timeline. Prime yeah, prime line. Prime, prime line. line. <laughs> okay. Uh, any other thoughts on Strange New Worlds before I move us along? No, I mean, what more, what more can you ask for from a Star Trek program? Than... Than Captain Pike. Uh, you're going to have to wait a long time for season two. Cause and it, very good storytelling. Yes. Very great special effects as well. It's a very big budget show and it carries it off very, very well. Uh, you will have to wait a while for season two because it won't be coming until next year. If you're very lucky, then maybe Captain Pike will be at the Star Trek panel at New York Comic Con in a few weeks' time when we're there. I wouldn't be able to talk to him. <laughs> Moving on. Last up this week, we're going to be talking about uh, Warner Brother and well, Warner Brother Pictures, but also Warner Animation Group's DC League of Super Pets, which is currently in uh, UK cinemas. This stars Dwayne the Rock Johnson, not as well. I was about to say not as Black Adam. Um, kind of does it star him as Black Adam uh, as Crypto the Superdog and uh, Kevin Hart as Ace the Bat Hound, as well as a plethora of furry, not furry, shelled creatures from across the dc universe in a magical fun family adventure uh, i haven't written a review of this one because we were in chicago when it came out and i saw it at the cinema in chicago rather than a press screening so i kind of haven't i've had a bit of a mental block and haven't written down my thoughts on it but we finally took you to see it this weekend because you were at work in chicago when i saw it and so i thought it's about time we kind of talked about it because we've not given too much exposure to this one despite the fact that i think it's a very fun film what did you think of DC Super Pets? Sorry, DC League of Super Pets. I thought it was okay. We slept through 20 minutes of it, which kind of annoyed me. I mean, it was a dark room. I was comfortable. It was very cold. It was incredible. Which was nice, because it was 35 degrees outside. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was okay. What did you like about it? I thought it was fun. I think it'd be a good kids' film. Which it is a kids' film. It's, it's not, you know, we're, we are slightly... Older than the maybe target market for this film, but uh, it's some older than others. It still, you know, choked me up a couple of times. I very nearly cried both times I saw this film at certain scenes. Oh, really? Yeah. Really, I was about to say I don't like, but it's not that I don't like it. Really, quite emotionally impacted by the opening scene, particularly when poor baby Cal is crying in the ship and then baby Crypto gives him a cuddle. That really that hit that's hit me really hard. Both times I watched it, I really properly choked up. And then I think it's also very sad when you get the backstory of Ace. I think that's sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, cold and emotionless over here. No, I mean it was alright. Was there anything? So there's something specific that I think you probably didn't like about this film, but we haven't talked about it because I specifically thought we'd bring it up here. So let's see if this works or not. But was there anything particular that you didn't like about this film? Not really. Okay. 
What do you think I didn't like about it? I was going to say that you wouldn't like the character designs for the humans. I wondered whether you really didn't like the very big-necked, strangely-shouldered version of Batman and Superman. Or... I feel like the the human characters are quite oddly proportioned in funny in strange ways. So Batman doesn't really have a neck; it's just a head into shoulders. And Superman's quite similar. Whereas when you see Superman next to Lois, she's very much more a normal head and shoulders kind of proportion. So they they are kind of they're designed very differently. The Justice League, um, and it's very specific. And I don't know that I wholly like that those character designs. I think the characters are played really well. I think they're portrayed really well. But I'm I'm not sure about the visual of the the Justice League in it. Oh, it didn't really bother me. I mean, mm. I just accepted it as a it's a kids film. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. It, it's not like I was sitting there going, "Well, this is just not going to land with the audience who've been reading the comics for forty years because this just doesn't look like Batman." But it sounds like something you would say. <laughs> it just maybe isn't how I would how I would have done it if I was in charge uh, it, it exactly sounds like what you <laughs> just said they're just not the best designs in the world for me but clearly kids have enjoyed it because it's doing really well at the cinema so I think you'll find Batman's ears should be three inches not four <laughs> thank you very much Marlene um <laughs> well but okay on something about Batman what do you think of Keanu Reeves uh, playing him yeah very very clever the genius move at some point during the film, I thought you were going to turn to me and go, Is that Keanu Reeves? Well, I wouldn't want to. You were too busy taking notes and measuring his ears. I think he's a brilliant Batman. And I love the way that it's not just a comedy Batman, that he's still dark and broody, but a funny dark and broody. I also hadn't noticed the first time I saw it that they do take a pot shot joke about um, Superman would be better to try and disguise himself using a mustache rather than glasses. <laughs> mustache gate. Um... Were there, okay, okay, so of the, the kind of the lead animals, do you have a favourite? No. Oh. They were all very good animals. Yes. <laughs> they all had their own qualities. Yes. We had dogs. Yes. We had a pig. We didn't have a cat. Well, we did have a cat, but he we was evil. We had an evil cat. Well, I mean, let's face it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's one lying on my keyboard now, so, you know. They do that. I'm good innocent, but I'm going to knock this over. Yeah. Whilst looking at you. I thought you would have been a, a big fan of uh, the turtle. Uh, I mean, it was a funny turtle. You like old ladies, though. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I sound like a right weirdo. <laughs> and have you listened to the other 73 episodes of this podcast? No, I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just... I, I had in my head that either the turtle or the pig would be your favourite. No, I like the really thought you were going to mock me for saying turtle. Then. I like the gerbil. Oh, of course... Yes, so you do have a bit of a penchant for uh, Kate McKinnon. She's very funny. Recede into darkness, recede into darkness, recede into darkness. Maintain eye contact. <laughs> She's brilliant, and I'm I'm glad that there is a mid credit scene that would tease that Lulu is not yet done, because I would like more Lulu. Yeah. Good old Lulu. Is it the fact that she's hairless? Well, I mean, that adds to the sort of the craziness of it all. She has a brilliant tiny, voice. Tiny you still know that it's her the whole time, but there's just she's just brilliant. She is absolutely brilliant. I would not hear a bad word said about her, even in Lady Ghostbusters. Oh, controversial. Sorry, Ghostbusters, semicolon, answer the call. Hey, I feel sorry for that film. I think that film is funny. I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as people make it out to be. And it's very sad that if you now go out and buy the complete Ghostbusters, it's Ghostbusters 1, 2, 
and Ghostbusters Afterlife. So three. Yeah. Not they they're not included in the complete Ghostbusters. Well, it's a different universe. They've been removed. They used to be in the retconned. Yeah. Anyway, she is she is brilliant. Uh I also really like John Krasinski as um Superman. I think he's quite a good Superman. So he you won't you don't do names. So John Krasinski is uh writer and director of A Quiet Place. He is in the first one, but he spoiler alert for anyone that's not seen it, dies at the end. Um and he's the guy that plays Mr. Fantastic in Multiverse of Madness. Oh yes. <laughs> if you could look up from your phone for a moment. Well they fixed our heating problem. Oh very good. Yeah, so he he is um, Multiverse of Madness is Mr. Fantastic, the long fan casted as Mr. Fantastic, him and his wife. Uh, as... The long Mr. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, but he's, he's, a re- stretchy. he's a really good Superman, I think. Hmm. It's not a lot more that I think you can say about this film because it is a kid's film. I just think it's it's flown a little bit under the radar, I think, just because Top Gun is still commanding a lot of people's attention at the box office. Is it? Yeah. Top Gun has managed to make nearly 700 million in America. Oh. It's now surpassed titanic and almost surpassed black panther so it's nearly the third highest grossing movie of all time in america and it's made well it's the only the second film to make over a billion dollars since the pandemic started um so it's on its way to almost making as much money as no way home which is the highest grossing movie of the pandemic era it is by far the biggest film of this year um so it's still kind of dominating the box office a bit and you had minions out recently that's pleased families and you've got nope out that's for the adults so it's kind of it's fallen a little bit in a sort of late summer people may be enjoying the sunshine going to the cinema a little bit less it's still made over 100 million dollars worldwide so far though and it's obviously only been out for just going on three weeks which is really good because that means it's about this point probably doubled the amount that teen titans go to the movies makes which is the only other kind of dc animated movie that's been in the cinema as an actual proper like theatrical release so it's done really really well so hopefully there will be sequels and stuff there the rock and his version of the dc universe is intriguing if you stay for the post-credit scene that's uh that's in this film i also really like the score which is by steve jablonski who is a name that not many people know but he does a lot of the music for the transformers franchise what's that name again Jablonski, Steve Jablonski, particularly brilliant score to uh, Transformers 3 that's not available on Apple Music, which is very sad. Anyway, I was wrapping this up. Uh, So DC League of Super Pets, if you've not seen it, it is brilliant. It is still in the cinema. You can already pre-order it on digital. It'll be coming to digital platforms to rent quite soon and probably, I would imagine, by... October, November, they'll be getting ready for it to release on home video, probably just in time for Christmas. I would like a cuddly toy crypto, but the only one that I could find was life-size and cost 70 quid. Oh. I don't want a life-size one. Where would you put it? I don't know. I don't think the cats would like it. No. Anyway, that is it for this week. Join us again in two weeks' time, where it will be bank holiday week here in the UK. Woohoo! Short week at work. Uh, we will have seen the first few episodes of She-Hulk which I'm very excited for because I'm a, I am a big Tatiana Maslany fan from Orphan Black. I don't know what else we will have seen. I have seen lots of horror movies recently. I've watched uh, Fall from Signature Entertainment, Orphan First Kill, which is a really interesting and campy one. Uh, what else have I watched? Glorious, which is a shudder. Uh, plenty of shudder films I've watched recently. If you want to get heavy, there's What Josiah Saw, which just came out. Lots of horror. We're heading into Halloween season. Shudder just announced... Um, 
that they're they're basically branding themselves the home of Halloween this year, and they have nothing short of a shit ton of films releasing between September and October for their Halloween season. So we're heading into spooky season anyway. And uh, we will have some news next episode on the next big DC UK competition. So uh, if you follow us on social media, you'll have seen that we uh, teamed up with DC to give away a uh, family trip to LA to the Warner Brothers Studio Tour and to see DC League of Super Pets. The next big competition is coming. I cannot tell you what it is just yet, but we will be discussing it in our next podcast, which will be releasing uh, sometime in the week of the 29th of August. So we'll catch you then. So until then, bye!